It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just well, welcome to down, Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist, and this show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company specializing in life-changing nutrition education and counseling. You know, what are some of those life-changing nutritional solutions? Well, I'd like to share some of these conditions. You know, some people become free of their migraine headaches just through nutrition. Many people lower their cholesterol numbers so they no longer need medication just through nutrition. Blood sugar numbers are lowered and type 2 diabetes is no longer a problem just through nutrition. Body aches and pains, you know, that kind that you call fibromyalgia, yep. decrease to a level that people forget they had a problem. Amazing. Low moods become happy moods. Memory problems suddenly are no longer a problem just through nutrition. Acid reflux def- disappears. Oh, we see this all the time. We do. Hot flashes stop. People can sleep through the night, and I could go on and on and on. You know, I just wanted to give you a taste of the power of nutrition. So joining me today as our co-host is Leah Wetzel, and Leah has a master's degree in nutrition, and she's also a licensed nutritionist. She sees many, many clients in both our St. Paul and Wyzetta offices, and I have to tell you, if you make an appointment with Leah, <laughs> you will see results because she's on top of every one of her clients. Well, thanks, Dar. <laughs> you know, Leah has that nutrition passion because she has seen her body transform inside and out I have. from eating real food. Yes. Well, thanks, Dar. It's great to be on the show today with you. It's great having you, Leah. Yes. And you forgot about one condition. What's that? It's called weight loss. Oh, yes. Yes. And I can attest to that. You know, I am 50 pounds less today than I was at the age of 19. In addition, I am off all my asthma medications, and I just feel great. Today, you are in for a nutritional treat because we have a very popular author on with us this morning, all the way from California, to discuss why we get fat. So it is a, such a pleasure to introduce our best-selling author, Gary Tobbs, who not only wrote the book, Why We Get Fat, but also one of my favorite books, Good Calories, Bad Calories. You know, Gary is truly a science writer and backs up every thought with scientific research. So welcome to the show, Gary. I hope you're on the line. It's really an honor to have you joining us today. Well, thank you guys for having me. Um, Let's hope my two young children don't wake up in the middle of the, the morning here in California yes. and uh, <laughs> disturb the show. That's all I want. It's quite early there, so thank you for joining us so early today. So let's get started today, and let's talk about what is making 67% of the population overweight. Is it that just people are overeating because... We're told by experts that um, it's the due to overeating and not the lack of exercise um, that people are doing in this country. And, and as far as um, what you find, you found that um, a different connection to that obesity connection, that's malnutrition and obesity. Well, this is, yeah, I approach this problem from that of a uh, sort of an investigative science journalist, which is what I was doing in the 
90s when I moved into the nutrition field and um, had the opportunity, uh, thanks to some fortuitous uh, occurrences, to spend about seven years of my life reading, doing nothing but reading the literature on obesity and chronic disease going back, you know, to the 19th century. Wow. And um, <clears throat> it was fascinating because one of the things you learn is that prior to World War II, there were actually two schools about what caused obesity. Uh, one was that it was all about gluttony and sloth, and that's pretty much all you had to say about it. You know, people <laughs> ate too much and they exercised too little. They yep. were sedentary and that made them fat. And the other, which was the European school of thought, and the Europeans at the time did, you know, far and away the best medical research in the time, you know, of the era. Um, and they thought obesity had to be some kind of hormonal disorder, and they had a lot of, um, you know, kind of examples, case studies to prove it. So they said, yeah, sure, you know, if somebody gets fatter, we know they're going to take in more calories than they expend. That's obvious. But that doesn't mean that's what the cause of their getting fatter. And you can just look at things like, you know, men and women fatten differently. Or mm -hmm. Children, when they, you know, boys and girls, when they go through puberty, they both get bigger and they both take in more calories than they can expend. And, they, you know, the boys will get a voracious appetite. They'll eat you out of house and home, you know, all these <laughs> cliches we have for teenage boys. Um, but the boys, they tend to put on muscle and lose fat, and the girls gain fat. And so they would say, what do the calories have to do with it? It's obviously hormones controlling whether or not you gain fat or not, and um, gain fat or gain muscle. And the, the problem is at the time they didn't know what hormones measured, actually regulated fat accumulation. And then World War II comes along, and this whole sort of German-Austrian school of thinking vanishes and by 1960, in the United States, we create this, um, the, the uh, technologies are invented that allow researchers, biochemists, to, to figure out, to measure hormone levels in the bloodstream and fatty acids in the bloodstream. And by the early 1960s, it's very clear that the hormone insulin regulates fat accumulation in the human body. You know, we're familiar with insulin from its role in blood sugar and its dysfunction in diabetes. But few people pay attention to the fact that it actually regulates the, the, how much fat we keep in our fat cells. And the problem is, is that we secrete insulin primarily in response to the carbohydrates in our diet. Yeah. And that meant obesity. That suggested if you just look at the biology and nothing else, no preconceptions, no behavior issues, just look at the biology, you'd come to the conclusion that obesity is caused by the carbohydrate content of the diet and particular carbs that we tend to that tend to overstimulate insulin secretion and those are the refined grains and sugars. And if you were to just get rid of those you'd be, you know, a, a long way away, long way towards sort of certainly preventing obesity if you're lean and, you know, curing it or reversing it if you're already overweight or obese. Well, you know, Gary, one of the interesting things last week I spent, uh, a, well, a couple of weeks ago, I spent a week in Hawaii uh, on the Big Island, and one of the things that I noticed just looking at people, because, you know, you've got people in their bathing suits and you can really see their bodies, but I noticed that the men, especially, they were showing that insulin-resistance bellies. And, you know, they look like they've been consuming too much beer. And I'm not sure that that's the, what was going on. <laughs> so, you know, maybe talk a little bit about what's causing these bellies that look like beer bellies 
And it's always so interesting to notice this, Leah, too. Yeah. Um, it was like the men were showing this much more than the women. Mm-hmm. The women. Well, this is, one, this is one of the things these German and Austrian researchers pointed out pre-World War II. I mean, we, we've always known men and women fat differently. You know, men get fat above the waist. Women get fat below the waist um, in general. Yep. And it's funny, you know, they would say, okay, so we've got, you know, the men get fat here, the women get fat there. What do the calories have to do with it? And that argued against this sort of energy balance idea because obviously hormones are controlling where the people get fat, um, not how much they eat. And if you take this idea that, that obesity is a hormonal disorder and it's caused by the, you know, the hormones that regulate fat accumulation and, and and these hormonal actions differ sort of cell to cell and region to region depending on the in- enzymes on the cells and the receptors on the cells that these hormones interact with. And then you could start answering questions, not just like whether we're fat or not, but where we get fat and when we get fat. Mm-hmm. And the cells, the, the abdominal cells, among other things, are very sensitive to insulin on men. Whereas the cells, and they're also sensitive to testosterone, and the women, the uh, you know the, the the fat cells below the waist are much more sensitive to estrogen. Yep. And so, just by looking at those how those sex hormones interact, you can start seeing how we get fat differently. Um, because those cells are sensitive to insulin, and the men are the abdominal fat. I always think of that as a sort of carbohydrate-induced fat now, and you see it a lot more on women, too, than at least yes, I remember right. seeing that as I was growing up. Um, you exactly. know, we have this condition called insulin resistance that you mentioned, and I'm sure you talk about it a lot. It's, it's uh, officially known now as metabolic syndrome, and it's the, the, the kind of, uh, I think of it as pre-heart disease, pre-diabetes. It might even be pre-cancer. It's the step on the way to any of these chronic diseases, the, the, um, the thing your doctors are supposed to look for, the first symptom they're told to look for to diagnose it is whether or not your waist size is expanding. And it's, the CDC tells us that something like 75 million Americans, million adults are, have this metabolic syndrome. And metabolic syndrome is this kind of hormonal disturbance the basically insulin resistance is at the heart of it, and then when you're insulin resistant, that means your s- cells are becoming resistant to the insulin you're secreting. So now, after you have a carbohydrate-rich meal, because you're mostly the uh, insulin is being secreted, you know, for the most part to deal with the raise in blood sugar that comes from the carbs. Um, if you're insulin resistant, you have to secrete more insulin to do the job, and now you have elevated levels of insulin in your bloodstream, and it tends to stay elevated for longer periods of time. Yep. And it, as it's elevated, it's working on these fat cells that have, you know, the ones, especially the ones that are particularly sensitive to the insulin, to keep fat, to lock calories up as fat in those fat cells. Yep. And Our- again, the gut is the target, so you see this happening in the gut. And then there's a lot of arguments about why the fat is leaking out of these fat cells as well, and then you get the fat accumulation around the organs um, that manifests itself as this kind of beer belly type look, and that's particularly um, sort of damaging to your long-term health. Yeah, so Gary, we have to take a quick break here, but let's when you when we come back, let's continue this 
little bit of a discussion on insulin resistance and maybe even go over it again for people because it is affecting so many people. Yep. And we, you know, maybe we need to talk about some of the carbohydrates things too. So we're going to take a quick break here. Go ahead, Leah. Yeah. So we're listening to, you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition and discussing why we get fat with best-selling author Gary Tobbs. If you have questions for Gary about metabolism or weight loss, please call our number at 651 641-1071. His book is such an interesting read that I'm sure you want to pick it up and and put highlight all over it like I did, the important parts. Get your questions answered and ready today for Gary. And we'll be right back. If you changed your nutrition, could it change your life? What if I told you that you could change your life just by learning the secrets of balanced eating? Nutritional Weight and Wellness can teach you how. They will do an individual consultation for you, your husband, or your children. They will create an eating plan that fits your lifestyle. Whether you're experiencing migraines or sleeplessness, depression, digestive problems, fatigue, anxiety, or need help with weight loss, nutrition can change all of that. More than 90% of all health conditions can be traced back to nutritional issues. Let Nutritional Weight and Wellness help you. Call 651-699-3438 or visit weightandwellness.com to schedule your individual consultation at an office near you. That's weightandwellness.com. Let Nutritional Weight and Wellness help you. 651-699-3438 or visit weightandwellness.com to schedule your individual consultation. That's weightandwellness.com. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. The nutritional educators at Nutritional Weight and Wellness will be teaching two great classes next week. Monday, March 19th, Kate will be teaching our menopause class in Lakeville. Lots of answers, lots of solutions for those menopausal symptoms. And on Wednesday, March 21st, Kristen will be at Mississippi Market teaching one of her favorite classes, Jumpstart Your Metabolism. It is one of our award-winning classes. So to sign up, just call 651-699-3438 or go online to weightandwellness.com. And we've got great things going on yeah, here today. Yeah, we do. We do. So before break, Gary, you talked about how processed carbs and sugars in our diet can lead to deregulation of our fat tissue. This is a really interesting thought that the deregulation of fat cells. Who would think that our fat cells are regulated? First, how does processed carbs and sugars deregulate our fat cells? And what can we do to get those fat cells regulated? Well, the... um you know, what's interesting is, uh, again, we've always had this theory. It's all about how much you eat and exercise. And when I lecture to medical schools and research, I say, I mean, it's crazy. It's 2012, and if you tell someone obesity is about, you know, they got fat because they were lazy or they ate too much, you don't care how fat cells are regulated. It's like you don't care about modern medicine, yeah. you know, or actually 1960s-era medicine. It's sort of irrelevant. It's just it's all in their brain, and they're lazy, and they... They don't want to get off the couch. And, um, <laughs> and you know, so, Gary, we work with so many people that have this going on yes. in their system, and we care. Yes. Because <laughs> we see their pain that they're going through. Well, this is the crazy. And there's people out there, you know, with amazing work ethics and amazing um, efficiency in their lives, and then they're overweight, and they end up, they think themselves that somehow it must be because of what they're doing. You know, the Tara Parker Pope, the New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, health reporter she had a cover story in the magazine and 
um, January 1st, uh, The Fat Trap, and it was yep. all about how, I mean, it was, it was wonderfully written, and it was all about all these reasons why once you get obese, you stay obese. But fundamentally, she was still blaming herself for the fact that she herself, the New York Times health critic, health writer, was 70 pounds overweight. Yep. And, you know, the point we've been making, I, a lot of colleagues and, and people believe like I do, is it's, it's not about, you know, the lack of willpower. It's not about the lack of exercise. It's all about, as you said, this regulation of the fat tissue. And why wouldn't you think it's regulated? Everything else in the human body is regulated. Yep, Very exactly. Very carefully so. That's what but fat know, cells are bad, you know. <laughs> Gary, you know, fat cells are bad, so <laughs> they're in and a they different category. <laughs> um, so anyway, so what happens here? What causes this, this condition called insulin resistance? And it's an interesting question. And the latest research suggests actually that it's, it's the likely culprit is the sugars in the diet. So, you know, we t tend to talk about all carbohydrates, and then I'll use the phrase refined grains and sugars, plural. And by sugars in the U.S., I mean mostly sucrose, which is a white powdery stuff we put in our coffee and, um, you know, sprinkle on our cereal and um, high fructose corn syrup. And high fructose corn syrup has been demonized in the last decade, but I'm, on, I'm one of these people who believe that basically high fructose corn syrup and sucrose are effectively the same thing. Um, sucrose is a molecule of the carbohydrate glucose bonded to a molecule of fructose. So it's 50-50 glucose fructose. And usually by the time we consume it, um, or certainly by the time it gets to the gut, that bond has been broken anyway. High fructose corn syrup, as we get it in liquids and sodas and, and fruit juices, is supposed to be 55% fructose and 45% or 42% glucose. Um, they're not bonded together. They're what chemists would call monomers. And, you know, but again, by the time we've consumed that these two things are both, you could think of them as both sugars that are roughly half glucose, half fructose, and it's the fructose that makes them sweet. Fructose is the sweetest um, of these carbohydrates, and it's been known for 40, 50, 60 years that fructose is the most the technical term that's used is the most lipogenic carb. And by lipogenic, that means it's most easily converted into fat. And it's funny, I was just reading a conference for proceeding. I'm writing a book on sugar and high fructose corn syrup uh, funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And I was reading a conference proceedings from 1975, and there's a biochemist in there. Everyone else is sort of arguing, uh, you know, at a kind of a, a very not particularly scientific level about whether sugar is good or bad. And then this biochemist from the National Institutes of Health says, but we know that fructose is the most lipogenic carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. It's almost got to be bad. Yeah. And fructose is metabolized. When we, can, when we eat a, uh, carbs, we eat a potato or something, it's break, broken, the, the, the uh, carbohydrates are broken down in the gut, and they get into our bloodstream as glucose, and our blood sugar starts going up, and that glucose is metabolized by virtually every cell in the body. Fructose, on the other hand, gets shipped straight to the liver. And the idea is our livers just didn't evolve to deal with the level of fructose that's being dumped on them every time we have a soda or a glass of apple juice. Or, you know, if you think about 
taking four or five apples that might take you an hour or an hour and a half to eat even and digest, even if you ever wanted to eat four or five apples in a row. And then you get the sugar out of it into a glass of apple juice, and you could drink it in 20 seconds. And that fructose just gets dumped on your liver, and your liver tries desperately to deal with it and ends up converting a lot of it into fat. And the fat gets shipped out to your fat cells for storage, and they get shipped out on these uh, lipoproteins, low-density lipoproteins and high-density, um, excuse me, low-density lipoproteins, LDL particles that we're taught to think of as bad cholesterol, mm -hmm. but that's another story. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, in the process, your liver and this is start, appears to become insulin-resistant, and as it becomes insulin-resistant, the rest of the body has to deal with the problem that the liver now needs more insulin, and so the other cells as well become insulin resistant. It looks like you go from the liver to the sort of systemic mm -hmm. insulin resistance or metabolic syndrome. So if that's true, and that's what the latest, re it's, I mean, this is what the research suggested in the 1960s, but people didn't pursue it because it was kind of in bad taste in the medical community to think that sugar was bad for you. That was associated with quackery. Um, still is a little bit, but as the more and more research is done, you keep coming back to the same thing, that sugar seems to cause insulin resistance. And once you're insulin resistant, then you have to secrete more insulin to all the other carbohydrates in your diet. Now all the other carbs become bad also, and it sort of shifts your whole body. The technical term is um, fuel partitioning. It, it shifts how you partition the fuels you consume from burning them up in your lean tissue for energy to storing them in your fat tissue. And so as you become more and more insulin resistant, you store more and more calories as fat. And then you've got to compensate because now it's like every time you go to the grocery store and you come home, some large percentage of the groceries you bought are being stuck somewhere where you can't eat them. <laughs> so you have to buy more at the grocery store or you know, just need less at home. So it's like you have to eat more or expend less to deal with this fact that these calories are being locked away in your fat tissue. And your body doesn't want the insulin. It's also telling the rest of your body not to burn the calories that are being stored as fat. So you have this sort of feedback loop where you're getting fatter and now you're eating more and exercise. And meanwhile, your insulin levels are elevated more of the time and then insulin starts playing havoc all through your body and all these other um, you know, and, and this, this fat conversion process in the liver and your LDL particles coming out, the, and, you know, the length of time that they spend in your bloodstream and the number of particles starts accumulating, and you get this whole sort of cluster of metabolic disturbances, this thing that's metabolic syndrome, that sort of are now perceived as the causes of heart disease, and they lead, they, it's a step to diabetes. It's like being pre-diabetic. And, you know, I think one of the things that, Gary, that I've noticed working with a lot of people is that, you know, one of the groups of people that we work with is often people that are belong to an organization called Overeaters Anonymous. And one of the things, one of their mottos is to stop eating sugar. So they stop eating sugar and high fructose corn syrup but then they are eating bread because they're not connecting that the bread actually turns into uh, glucose in your body. So it's kind of interesting. People get into these different ways of eating 
Not that it isn't good for them to give up sugar, but there's a next step for most people. Well, that's what, um, you know, one of the uh, uh, arguments, okay, so you asked how do you, how do you get rid of this? Yes. How do you stop it? Yes. And, um, so, so let's talk about that um, when we, com- we take another break, um, but that's definitely something that we want to share with people, how to break this cycle. And we have a few callers on the line that actually are wondering that exact question. So you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. On a recent flight to Oregon, one of the flight attendants delivered a water to me with a napkin that said, join Diet Coke in the support of heart health programs. Diet Coke, the heart truth. Now, I understand that people are, now I understand why people are so confused about nutrition. So what is the heart truth about diet soda? If we look at research, coming right from the U of Minnesota, right here in Minnesota, uh, people who drink diet soda have a 35 greater risk of developing metabolic syndrome, and heart disease is part of metabolic syndrome. Big food and beverage companies seem to be trying seem to be trying to confuse people about nutrition and health. So questions today for Gary, give us a call at 651-641-1071. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you want to learn the real facts about heart health and how to manage cholesterol through food, how to avoid diabetes, and steps you can take to reduce pain and inflammation, sign up for our Weight and Wellness series of classes, which start next week. You know, on Monday night, we have classes in St. Paul, Wyzetta, North Oaks. On Tuesday night, we're all the way up to Cambridge and all the way out to Hudson. Wow. Yes. Wednesday in Maple Grove, Thursday evening in Lakeville, and Friday morning in North Oaks. And nurses, remember, you receive 14.4 continuing education credits when you take our Weight and Wellness series. So call 651-699-3438 for more information, or you can go to weightandwellness.com to sign up online. And we got lots of callers and lots of questions. So Gary, I'm going to take a couple callers right now. Joanne, thanks for calling Dishing Up Nutrition. You have a question about triglycerides. Yes, I do. Thank you. For about a year now, I have been eating the um, the the new way, eating real food, have eliminated processed carbs, sugars, um, and have been focusing primarily on uh, proteins, primarily eggs being my protein of choice. However, my triglycerides, my cholesterol profile has exploded. I'm at 284 with a total uh, uh, total cholesterol, but my triglycerides is at 115. Can, what is it that I'm not doing right? And then this led me to an article I read that eating hard-boiled eggs where the yolk is cooked is actually a toxic cholesterol. And I thought that eating eggs was okay again, but only if the hard if the yolk is not cooked. And I wondered if, if Gary had any insight into that. So, Gary, could you hear that question? Actually, I had, a, I had some trouble hearing it. Could you guys kind of repeat the question? For okay. Me? She has been eating um, less processed carbohydrates, much more protein, but a lot of her protein has been in eggs. And apparently, and I'm not sure, have you been eating organic eggs or have you been eating regular eggs, commercial eggs? Regular commercial eggs. Commercial eggs. And she's been eating a lot of, you've been eating a lot of hard-boiled commercial eggs. Yes. Do you, like two a day or? 
Well, at, because I read that it was okay to eat eggs and lots of eggs, um, I had at some times we're eating five and six eggs a day. Okay. And then, Gary, what has happened is that her triglyceride it, number is 115. And apparently it's gone up from what it was before. Is that right? Yes, it has exploded <clears throat> with my total cholesterol jumping from, from 190 to 284. But what is your HDL cholesterol? My HDL is 61. Okay. So so there, do you want to start with that one, Gary? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough one, in part also because I'm, I'm one of these people who don't believe that you could really learn much from total cholesterol or even LDL cholesterol, and what you have to really be measuring is actually the, the latest research suggests it's actually the LDL particle number, which is the number of LDL particles in your bloodstream. Um, yeah, the triglycerides going up is interesting. It's, it's always hard to tell from what researchers would call an N of 1, which is one person's experience, what triggered this. You know, it could be, for instance, weirdly enough, that she's getting too much protein from the egg whites because we convert um, the, the protein in the egg whites get converted into amino acids, and we secrete insulin in response to the amino acids. Just one of the counterintuitive things about this uh, the kind of diet that comes out of or the way of eating that this biology suggests is that what you want to do actually is eat more fat and less um, and not more protein because fat is the one uh, nutrient that we don't secrete insulin in response to. So, uh, you know, it, it's kind of without just knowing total cholesterol numbers and not knowing things like LDL particle number. And as a journalist, even if I did, I, I you know, I wouldn't really be able to say what's happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you, you know, here I have a couple of ideas for you. First of all, when we talk about eating eggs, we often talk about eating, you know, two to four a day. Yeah. But we also, because you don't, you don't want to overeat anything as you know, I think more Eat variety. a balance. But the other thing is, uh, maybe if you were eating eggs that were, you know, the chickens were raised on grass or on flaxseed, the egg yolk is actually a little bit different in those than the commercial chickens are fed corn and soybeans. So it's a different, the egg yolk is different. So that may have some factor on it. Yeah, and I think as far as Gary's point, I think it's also good to have enough fat in your diet to balance out. You need a balance of the fat and the protein. And mm -hmm. and if we, as as reading Gary's book and knowing the research about um, some of traditional cultures, that they actually ate more of a dominance of healthy fats um, with in conjunction with proteins um it kind of to balance that out and that ratio um with more fat than protein in some of the cultures okay you know it, it's it's one of the things that we when we're sitting down with people individually doing nutritional counseling you know then we can sort this stuff out for people and figure out okay what is going on yeah. what is causing this yes so Lot okay. to investigate, but a good well, question exactly, for us. It's sort of one of the things that I'm always doing in my own life is if I have a, a any kind of health issue, you know, I, I'm from your school of thought. I kind of believe that they they tend, you know, most of them can be cured by a change of nutrition. Yeah, drives my I wife crazy. I might add, but I'm always saying, okay, well, I'm giving up this this week, or I'm giving up that because I've got, you know, this rosacea. And I think rosacea, it's got to have a nutritional cause. I mean, if I give Certainly. up enough things, eventually Certainly I'll find is. it, and then I could start adding back the things I gave up. And, um, you know, it's kind of self-experimentation. As you realize how your body works, 
and everybody's body is a little different. We all respond a little bit differently to these foods. You could start experimenting with, you know, what should I give up? What could be, you know, uh, causing this problem? Right. Exactly. And mm-hmm. how can I adjust it and right. work yourself? And if you're working closely with a nutritionist or a dietitian, that's the kind of thing, obviously, or a physician who understands carbohydrate restriction and the idea behind it. Um, it's much easier to figure out what's happening and then and, and deal with it. Exactly. Right. Well, right. thank, Thanks for the call. Thank yeah. you very Great. much. Bye-bye. So I'm going to take one more caller. Um, Patty, thanks for calling Dishing Up Nutrition. You have a question for Gary about weight loss? Yes. Well, it's weight loss and health. I acquired uh, C. diff colitis mm-hmm. after surgery, mm-hmm. and I have was put on the BRAC diet, um, mm-hmm. which is bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast, and mm-hmm. I ate that for about three weeks and gained 15 pounds. Certainly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's gotten to where now the, these are the only things I can eat, and I'm just wondering how long I can go on with it. Well, I can eat, lac- drink lactate milk. You know what? Bef- you know, I think what makes sense is I have worked with many, many, many people with uh, C. diff. Yes. And have been able to rebalance their system. I would really say come in and because you can't keep eating this high carbohydrate way of eating because no I have totally stopped that could yeah. I just tell you what I do eat and see how bad that is okay quickly though it's just five things I can drink lactate uh, free milk okay and that's high in sugar okay and I can and I know this is high in sugar but I can eat no vegetables otherwise I can drink the naked juices that's from very high, high in sugar. sugar. That's bad. And still bananas. High in sugar. Okay. Uh, okay, and the last three, I was just about to eat a hard-boiled egg. Okay. Not real sure. um, and I can eat a little chicken and a little fish. This okay. is basically what I'm living on. Yeah. And you're I'm just wondering. And I am, my physician did put me on some really high-powered probiotics. Mm-hmm. Well, I still think uh, making an appointment would really help you because there, it's there's little... There's actually a little science to helping people get rid of C. diff. Okay, and, um, I, 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 according to her, the C. diff is gone, but I had it so badly that my intestines, as she described it, were had patches oh. like as if I'd skinned my knee. Right, yeah, yes. and that's what C. diff is. So. And that's what I have to heal. But I think one of the interesting points that you make is that when you start eating processed carbohydrates, you gain weight. Yes, and so that's... Very quickly. Yes. Yes. And so as far as um, working with a nutritionist, they can definitely help you kind of balance things out a little bit better to help you lose weight. And listening more, because we want to hear more from Gary about what foods that we need to avoid to help maintain healthy weights or help lose weight. So thank you so much for your call today. You're welcome. So Gary, maybe that's a good question. What kind of foods... Does it make sense? And I think you've alluded to this many times already, but what kind of foods does it make sense for people to avoid uh, if they want to lose weight? And what do they need to eat? You know, kind of okay, looking more I'm going to give you a little bit of historic perspective here because I can't help myself. Okay, good. Wait, uh, before we do that, let's, let's take our last <laughs> break and then we'll get into the details of that historic per- perspective. So you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition and join us today is Gary Taubes, best-selling author of Why We Get Fat and Good Calories, Bad Calories. In his book, Why We Get Fat, Gary Taubes reveals the bad nutrition science of the last century, as such as calories and calories out model. He 
also shares the good science that has been ignored, especially the insulin role as regulating our fat tissue. Certainly two books that are worth the read, and we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, I believe working daily with clients, over 90% of them are insulin resistant and need to learn how to choose vegetable carbohydrates over processed carbohydrates. It may not always be the most interesting choice, (laughs) but it'll be the healthiest. So pick broccoli for breakfast rather than toast. Pick a salad for lunch over a sandwich. And for a snack, pick berries over a Girl Scout cookie. Yes. How about with dinner? Pick Brussels sprouts or maybe choosing a bag of chips. Yes. Or pick celery with almond butter rather than those peanut M&Ms. Yes. I used to eat those all the time. You know, just small (laughs) steps lead to big health improvements. So we had a question. We You had a question. Yes. So basically, you know, we definitely want to let the listeners, um, you know, questioning about specifics about what we're we're looking to eat in our diets to help us maintain a healthy weight and not to gain weight or to help people lose weight. So, Gary, from all your extensive knowledge of all the research studies that you've read over the years, what are people eating that are causing people to gain weight? Okay, and, and here I'm going to go back to my historical Yeah, that's great. Just briefly, remember I was saying in the 1960s we figured out that insulin regulates fat accumulation. We secrete insulin in response to the carbs in our diet. The more um, refined, the easier to digest the carbs, the more insulin we're going to secrete, and the sugar, as we talked about, is a real problem. So um, by the mid-1960s, it was clear that if you just got rid of these carbohydrates in general, so we're talking, you know, the refined grains, the flour, the, you know, pasta, the potatoes, the rice, these were all foods that conventional wisdom at the time had it were uniquely fattening. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes I use in both books is from a British uh, nutrition journal that written by one of the two leading British dietitians in 1963, and the first article is, every woman knows that carbohydrates make her fat, the first sentence. Um, so you get rid of those carbs, and this would be the theory, and you replace them not with protein but with fat. So you end up eating a high-fat diet. It's moderate in protein and very low in carbs, and some doctors in the era tried this themselves because they read the same literature I did. They lost weight effortlessly, and then they tried on their patients, and their patients lost weight because you're just literally removing the things that are making you fat. Like if you don't want to get lung cancer, you stop smoking cigarettes. You don't exercise more. You just stop smoking. (laughs) And if you don't want to be fat, you get rid of the these fattening carbohydrates. So that's not the carbs as you put in green vegetables and berries because they're bound up with a lot of fiber, particularly the green leafy vegetables, the broccoli, the kale, the salad greens. And so, um, you know, when you digest those carbs, it takes a while to break them down, get rid of, separate them from the fiber. They go slowly into your bloodstream. Um, you get all these vitamins and, and you know, nutrients with it, but you don't get this, this rise in blood sugar that you get from the starches and the, the refined grains and the sugars. And so the idea should be this is what you eat. And the problem is that the, in the year of 1960s, and unfortunately some of your, particularly from the University of Minnesota, yeah. people were arguing that dietary fat causes heart disease, and so we should all eat low-fat diets and high a lot of carbs and you know, these same foods that my mother's generation grew up believing were fattening. The pasta, the bread, the potatoes became 
the base of the food guide pyramid and what we were all supposed to eat all the time so we could eat these nice low-fat diets and we all got fatter and more diabetic. And But, you know, you the know. Inter- interesting thing, Gary, is that I think I don't get a chance to tune into Dr. Oz very often, but I think I heard that he's still promoting eating a lot of whole grains. Um, well, that's the thing. We have this idea. A lot of whole grains are good for you. A lot of Low fruit. saturated fat. Yeah, low saturated fat. And it's this sort of... You know, like Oz will tell people to stay away from the refined grains. Like everyone will say, okay, yeah, sure, white flour, don't eat it, sugar, don't eat it. They, you know, um, but the the thing that you have to wrap your head around is that even whole grains can be a problem. Fruit, you know, it's one thing to eat berries like blueberries, but yep. when you get into the bigger fruit, there's not that much of a difference between an apple and a potato, except the apple's sweeter. Yep, and high fructose content. Fructose. Yeah. So it yeah. is. It is very interesting how uh, people still. I don't know when we're when we're working with people, and you know it's part of our society that it is really hard for people to realize how much they have to cut back those processed carbohydrates in order to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. There's a difference between you know lean people who want to prevent themselves from getting overweight or obese. And with them, it could be just a little adjustment is necessary. Just, you know, get rid of some of the sugar and cut back a little bit on the, you know, don't have pasta every night. Even if you're a runner, have it, you know, once a week and they may be fine, particularly getting rid of the sugar. But if you're already overweight and obese, 100 pounds overweight, 50 or 100 pounds, then your body most likely is severely metabolically disturbed. And what you want to do is get rid of all these carbs. Yes, yes. And now you're eating a high, and in effect, you know, you treat it like so you're trying to quit smoking. I mean, when you, for those of us who used to smoke, and I'm a journalist, we all did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't cutting back half and, you know, trying to do it in steps was never going to happen. You'd just exactly. say, I had to go cold turkey. And it's sort of, you don't play any games. This yep. is your health. Your obesity, type 2 diabetes are, are chronic conditions that will eventually, you know, that nobody wants to be that way. So it, it just, no matter how high the cravings yes and that's a good point that these are the foods that people are highly addicted to there's a lot of cravings involved with these high sugar foods yeah and i think the cravings are physiological as yeah. well as um you know once you're hype what's called once your insulin levels are elevated that's they, these are the this is your fuel yep you know so what you got to do if you get rid of them then you stop burning carbohydrates for fuel and you start burning the fat that you've stored in your fat tissue which is what you want to do with and you them. stop craving them and then as you're burning your fat, you stop craving the carbs. And then when you go continue to eat a high-fat diet, crazy as this sounds, yeah. you continue to burn the fat instead of storing. And your body stays in sort of fat-burning mode. And you just do what lean people do naturally, which is burn what comes in, what you consume. Yep. You know, it's kind of interesting, Gary. You know, my first degree was in psychology, and back then, that was popular. The behavioral psychology was really popular. And everybody believed that obesity or overweight was a psychological problem. And so a lot of programs got started with this, you know, more of a psychological. And so it's like people believe that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. If they well, this is what, yeah, you know, it's still true today. A lot of the leading figures in obesity field are psychologists, um, Obesity is still considered an eating disorder, it's, and it's, you know, it's crazy. I 
that's, I mean, obesity and diabetes are so closely linked. We could think of them as two sides of the same disease. Yep. And imagine if you got diabetes and you were sent to a, a psychologist for therapy, for treatment. I mean, we'd have millions of diabetes die, diabetics dying even more prematurely than they will <laughs> from having the disease anyway. You know, and the argument is this: obesity is not a behavioral problem. It's not a psychological disorder. It's a physiological disorder caused, yes, yes. you know, for exactly. huge percentages of the people by yes. this insulin dysregulation. And when we put people that are diabetic on a really on a high healthy fat diet, we see those blood sugars start coming down dramatically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there have been clinical trials showing this also. It's hard to get the medical community to take it seriously because yeah. in the 1970s, the American Diabetes Association went out of its way to say, hey, diabetics can eat as much carbs as they want as long as they take their insulin. Yes. yes. So they're compounding the problem. One, one, one person described it as, as like using gasoline to put out a fire. Exactly, and they yeah. usually are prescribed a low-fat diet, still to this day a low-fat diet to go along with that. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's and part of our job, one of the reasons I do these shows is just to get people, you know, the more people we could get to see sort of the simple reality and it's just you just treat obesity as a biological disease, not some physics thing about yes. energy. And, and your whole treatment of obesity and diabetes and heart disease shifts the way you perceive these diseases. Um, shifts, how you treat them shifts, and we, you can start at an individual level and hopefully we'll move to a societal level. You know, yeah. and I think the other thing, Gary, is that it takes time for people to lose this insulin resistance weight gain that they have, this fat that they have built up on the body. It doesn't happen overnight, and then if they try this low-calorie um, approach to losing weight, as you said in your book, it just basically slows down their metabolism. Mm -hmm. and well, this is the thing. If you're starving yourself, it, 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 we know that. Same thing happens to lean people. Their metabolism slows down. They're hungry and grouchy and cranky. If you just remove the cause of the problem, which are these particularly fattening carbohydrates, um, you know, then, then you can eat as much. I mean, that's why this was always perceived as quackery, because you're never supposed to tell an obese person they could eat as much as they want, because isn't that how they got fat to begin with? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, but the problem is that isn't how they got fat to begin with, and they can eat as much as they want. They just have to remove the cause of the problem. Gary, we want to really problem. thank you for getting yes. up so early and sharing your knowledge and, and your books. I mean, yeah. You have really helped us a lot because you've gathered all the research together. And wow. we actually use your books a lot in, as, a, as we're teaching information to people. So we really do appreciate yeah, thanks you being a lot, on. Gary. Have a great well, day. You and you, you know, your kids didn't wake up. <laughs> well, they did. They're actually, uh, uh, well, one you've of kept them quiet. playing on the iPad right in front of me now. Uh, <laughs> okay. Thanks again, Gary. Have a great day. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Statements made with respect to products have not been evaluated by the FDA.